Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs 18. And uh, we're continuing in our summer series in the book of Proverbs. We've entitled it Wisdom Required, Applying God's Truth to Everyday Life. Um, understanding that it is God's truth that guides us and directs us and leads us and is necessary for all of life and godliness. And this morning we're going to talk about the topic of friendship. And we've kind of been looking at these different topics in contrast or comparison to its negative or opposite. Friendship versus isolation is what we're looking at this morning. It's no surprise to many of you that one of my favorite pieces of literature is uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think I might actually preach about it from time to time. In Tolkien's classic tale, in which friendship between two hobbits succeeds in destroying the evil ring of power and eventually liberating Middle-earth, strong friendships are seen everywhere in these books. In fact, a central feature of the very story itself is the extraordinary bond between Frodo and Sam. And as the two hobbits are leaving the Shire on their mission to destroy the Ring of Power, they have this incredible exchange, this conversation that really gets to the heart of friendship. Frodo says, it's going to be very dangerous, Sam. It's already dangerous. Most likely, neither of us will come back. If you don't come back, sir, then I shan't, that's certain, said Sam. Don't you leave him, they said to me. Leave him, I said. I never mean to. I'm going with him. If he climbs to the moon, and if any of those black riders try to stop him, they'll have Sam Gamgee to reckon with, I said. You gotta love Sam. And out of the strength and depth of their friendship, Sam then accompanies Frodo on this grueling journey. And through trials and danger, Sam never wavers, continually bolstering Frodo in spirit. And at the very end, as Frodo's strength fails him, Sam literally picks him up and carries Frodo on his back up the side of Mount Doom, where finally the ring can be destroyed and Middle-earth redeemed. What we see throughout, and particularly at the end of the story, is that friendship is crucial. It's crucial to accomplishing the mission. It's crucial to thriving and succeeding in life. And you see, being alone would have meant utter and complete failure. It would have ended in disaster. And this isn't just true for Sam and Frodo. It's true for you and I. God has made us for friendship, companionship, relationship. Friendship is crucial for living a successful life and for the church especially, listen, for accomplishing the mission of God that has been given to us by our Lord. And the book of Proverbs speaks so much to friendship. It recognizes at least three aspects of godly friendship, counsel, correction, and care, and I want to look at all of those in turn, and I want to launch our time together. We're going to look at a number of verses, but I want to launch from Proverbs 18, verse 24. Listen to what it says. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
First, I want us to see this from the book of Proverbs, that godly friends give consistent care. In fact, you can look back with me at Proverbs 17, verse 17. Here, it's explicit. Solomon writes, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. I love that. A friend loves at all times. This kind of person seems rare these days. The friend who loves at all times, even in adversity, the friend who offers comfort and care throughout every trial, that's what the Bible describes as love. And in the original Hebrew, the phrase here in this verse, at all times, is actually placed at the very beginning of this proverb, and it's the author's way of emphasizing its centrality. He wants to make it clear that a true friend loves at all times, in every situation. That also, by the way, gives us a bit of a way of testing the quality of our friendship, doesn't it? How we can know and identify true friends in our lives, truly godly friends. Do they pack up and leave town when things get challenging in our lives? Or do they stick around and weather the storms with us? Those who continue to offer comfort faithfully during seasons of adversity are friends in the truest and most biblical sense. One author said it like this, the true character of love expresses itself by substantive, unselfish action in adversity, not by outward kisses. Not with lip service, but with their lives. Proverbs 20, verse 6 affirms this, saying, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find... People love to declare their loyalty. They love to proclaim their faithfulness. But the proverb reminds us, but a faithful man who actually follows through on his word, who can find this kind of a person? They're so rare. And yet what the Bible is reminding us of is that this should not be a rarity in the family of God, in the body of Christ. You see, a a brother is stuck with you. Believe me, I know. A brother is obligated to be some kind of safety net for you. But a friend, think about this, a friend chooses you. When someone loves you at all times, good and bad, and they don't have to, but they choose to, that person is a friend. A true friend is consistent with their care. As I said, they they weather every season of life with you, not just the beautiful summers, but the harsh winters. Speaking of harsh winters, Canada is known for being a friendly country, aren't we? You go around the world, and it's one of the number one things people identify uh, Canadians with, aside from hockey and beer. It's your friendly people. But being friendly, listen, and having true friends is a very different thing. A godly friend doesn't just proclaim their steadfast love. They refuse to run away when the friendship gets costly. They keep their promises even when it hurts them. And that's a friend. Listen, loved ones, that's a friend. If you've got that kind of a friend, that's a friend to be cherished and valued. And that's the kind of friend you ought to strive to be. Solomon gives us a reminder of what happens when we don't have this in our lives. In fact, look with me at Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 and 10. It'll be on the screen behind me. 
Solomon says this, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will be able to lift his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no, not another to lift him up. I mean, it's, we, we know this in, in practical realities in life. When we go it alone, there's nobody there to help when times get difficult, when we trip and we stumble and we fall. But the Bible advocates this picture of doing life together, especially spiritual life, the Christian life. I love seeing this, by the way, in the life of our church. I love watching the body of Christ rally around one another, supporting one another practically, financially, physically, but most importantly, I love watching you pour spiritually into one another, meet the spiritual needs when we stumble and fall, bearing one another's burdens. I just, I just would affirm and, and commend you before the Lord. I see this. It's so evident in the life of our church. And I love, I love how the Spirit of God works in and through you to minister to one another in such sweet ways. Ecclesiastes 4 reminds us, listen, that in one sense, isolation is very easy for us. And I would argue in our culture today, we are encouraged to isolate ourselves in very subtle ways. We need friends who will care for us, who will take the effort to cultivate a friendship with us, to foster and commit to deep friendships, and we need to do the same with one another. You know, the truth is we long for community, we long for friendship, but most of us, listen, sadly, are unwilling to count the cost necessary to receive it. So many of us, even in this room, listen, have settled for pseudo-relationships or superficial relationships. Many of us have a lot of companions or acquaintances, but not a lot of true, deep, intimate friendships that we know will carry us through the most difficult and challenging and painful moments of our life. But God wants that for us. There are some of you in here who are on the fringes of the church. Some of you are just visiting, and we just want you to know you are so welcome here. We love that God has brought you here, but some of you have been attending for maybe some time, maybe even years, and you're still sitting on the fringes of the church. You know, you attend on Sunday, maybe you even have a few acquaintances here, but you haven't dove into the deep end of community and relationships. And you need to understand that God's design for the church is that. This is the place where we are supposed to find our deepest relationships because we have the most important thing in common, our love of the Lord Jesus Christ and our mutual salvation. Amen? So it doesn't matter how different we are in our lives. It doesn't matter our ethnic background. It doesn't matter our socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter how old we are. Here's what we have in common and what unites us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, we can experience depths of friendship that the world can't even fathom. It's a gift from God. And we long for it. We need it. We must strive for it. It takes time. It takes effort and intentionality. And by the way, it's not just friends versus isolation in the book of Proverbs. So let me just qualify this and speak specifically to some of you, maybe specifically to the children who are in this room. You've probably heard it plenty of times from your parents, but it is possible to have bad friends who care only for their interests and nothing for yours or God's. kind of friends 
who you surround yourself will in many ways determine the kind of life you will live. If you surround yourself with bad friends, you should not be shocked when they abandon you in the difficult times when adversity hits. But one of the things you need to understand is having bad friends is not simply about being abandoned by them, it's about being influenced by them. The book of Proverbs is actually explicit about this, that bad friends, sinful friends, wicked friends will actually seduce you into sin. In fact, listen, in the very first chapter of Proverbs, remember, this is Solomon writing to his child, to his son. That's the context of the book of Proverbs. And at the very outset, the beginning of the book, here's what he says in verse 10. Just listen. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. You see the allure, uh, the enticement of sin. Throw in your lot among us, is what they're going to say. We will all have one purse. We're all going to benefit from this. This is going to turn out so good for us. Here's what he says. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, bad company corrupts good morals. Choose friends wisely. Parents, early on, choose your kids' friends for them. Avoid bad company and avoid no company. Both of those are dangers that the book of Proverbs warns us against because godly friends give consistent care for our lives and for our souls. Secondly, godly friends give trustworthy correction. Look at Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 say this, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Godly friends, they know how to listen, they know how to comfort and care, but they also aren't afraid to give correction. Listen, you need to hear this because we're so, we're a culture, I was thinking about this this week, we're a culture that is so fragile. We take everything so personally. We're so afraid of offending somebody else. But listen, love that never corrects or rebukes is not love at all. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Open rebuke is better than hidden love. One writer put it like this, the currency of friendship is honesty and truth, not silence and compliance. A true friend doesn't sit there and quietly let you do whatever you want, watching you hurt yourself. I remember as a kid, we used to watch these commercials about drinking and driving. Some of you are old enough to remember this as well. Um, it's, it, the, the, kind of the tagline of the commercial was, friends don't let friends drink and drive. Remember that? Friends don't let friends drink and drive. Well, why not? I mean, it, it's so obvious, isn't it? Because a true friend doesn't want their friends in danger or harm or hurting other, either themselves or other people. But how about this in the Christian life? According to the Bible, friends don't let friends live in sin. They don't. 
They don't care about hurting their friend in the right sense of that word or hurting their feelings. They care about the holiness of their lives. They, they care about the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And they care about the good of their friend. They know, listen, they know what the Bible teaches is true, that all sin and disobedience to God leads to damage and destruction in our lives. It never turns out good. We know that experientially, amen? Wow, some of you, like two of you, like, yeah, I think maybe... Like, like, do you not know that personally, that every time you've chosen sin, it's led you down a bad path? Never has good consequences. We speak the truth in love. I love Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Listen to those words. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. An enemy, not a friend, tells you what you want to hear. An enemy is the one who encourages you and, and just simply is compliant with your sin but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And this is really, listen, the the difference between a doctor and a thief, right? There's a difference between hurting someone and harming someone. And and think about it through this lens of a doctor versus a thief. Both of them wound, but with very different motivations, right? One of them is wounding to harm. The other is wounding to help. Sometimes that's a very fine line trying to figure that out. thief is looking to do damage, to destroy. But the doctor takes out that scalpel and with precision and care, they go in and they, yes, have to wound. They have to hurt you in order to help you. And this is the picture that we should have in our hearts and minds when it comes to true friendship, giving trustworthy correction. Friends make surgical strikes at sin in our lives, and we're willing to risk hurting to help. Our problem often when it comes to these kind of relationships is that we love to play the victim. This is what makes it very difficult to to speak truth in love to people sometimes. Again, we're so easily offended. We're so sensitive. And we love to play the victim. We often believe that feelings matter more than facts. There's a difference between someone being loved and someone feeling loved. Do you know that? Let me say that again. There is a difference between someone being loved and someone feeling loved. Let me give you an example of this. Jesus loved everyone well. Amen? Fact. And some people felt hurt by Jesus. Feelings. They were not harmed by Him. They were loved by Him, but they felt hurt. And because they were driven by their feelings and not the facts, they crucified him. If we don't understand this, then every time we feel hurt, we're going to look for someone to blame and punish. We'll make our emotional state somebody else's fault. We'll justify our sin. We'll turn the tables and attack the person who's trying to help us and care for our souls. You see, does that mean we don't care about feelings? Of course not. In fact, here's the mark of trustworthy correction. You want to notice? Here it is. You can jot this down if you're taking notes. Say the right thing the right way at the right time. Just say the right thing the right way at the right time. But the truth is, a friend will inevitably hurt you. In in fact, the Bible's telling us that they're not a true friend if they're not willing to hurt you. They're going to hurt you with words that are respectful, true, and sometimes very blunt and direct. If you will receive it, catch this, you will grow in wisdom. 
you will be spared a lot of further pain and damage. We've talked about this often in, in our church, as a church family, but the fatal flaw, we've, we've used that term around here, the fla- fatal flaw is the person who cannot see and will not hear, okay? It's fatal for your spiritual life. You cannot see the problems in your life, and this is most of us. Most of us, when it gets down to it, we can't see a lot of the flaws in our own life. We can't see the sin. We're just going along, doing our thing. We think we're okay. We think we're fine. But the real fatal flaw is not simply that we cannot see, but we refuse to hear. That somebody outside of us who sees what we cannot see and who's willing to say it to us and care for us in that way, and when we take our fingers and stick them in our ears and say, I don't want to hear this from you, that's the fatal flaw. That's the person who thinks they know everything. That's the person who in their pride is above correction. And you know, the sad thing is that some of us, we refuse community and we refuse relationships because of this very issue. We don't want people correcting us. We don't want people rebuking us. We feel like we don't need it. We hate correction. We despise it. And let's just be honest for a moment. None of us loves it, right? Like our sinful flesh does not love being corrected. Most of the time we don't like it, and we got to fight against this urge to justify ourselves, right? That inner lawyer kicks in whenever we're confronted. But you know what that person who's called, the person who hates and despises correction? You know what the person's called in the book of Proverbs? I'll give you one guess. Come on, somebody help me out. Fool. Proverbs 1, 7 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 15, 5 says this, a fool despises, kids, listen up, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. The fool tells those who try to help through correction to be quiet, I know better I don't need you, and quite frankly, I don't like being told what to do or what not to do. But the wise recognize the gift of God's grace in trustworthy correction. They don't despise it. And listen, here's, here's a prayer. You want, you want a practical a prayer for this topic here? Pray that God would help you love correction. Just pray it. Seriously, like, if this is, you, this is you, you're like, I hate it so much. Right now, say, God, help me. I'm going to love correction because it's so good for me. Pray for it specifically, okay? That's the next prayer. Don't just pray that you'd love it. Pray for it. Pray that God, in his love for you, would send people into your life and maybe use his word in moments of devotions and time, just diving in deep to where God would correct you. Why, why do the wise love it and long for it? Because they want to live, and they want to live well. They want to walk on paths of righteousness and truth for His name's sake. They want to find true joy the way that God has intended for us to experience it in obedience and likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. They want to avoid unnecessary, listen, there's enough necessary pitfalls and pain and problems. They want to avoid the unnecessary pitfalls, pains and problems. But you must be willing to give trustworthy correction. Listen, if you want to be a godly friend, you've got to be willing to give it. And you've got to be willing to receive it. This takes courage. But the mantra of true friendship says something to this effect, I love you too much to let you walk in your sin. I love you too much to not tell you what God wants for you, what's pleasing to Him. 
Godly friends give trustworthy correction. Lastly and finally, godly friends give earnest counsel. You can stay in chapter 27 there and drop down to verse 9. It says this, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. You see, it's not just correction when we're wrong. It's counsel when we're confused. It's direction and advice when the way seems murky or unclear. Proverbs 24, verse 26 on the screen behind me says this, whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. Don't take that too literally. It's saying the one who's willing to speak the truth, to speak with honesty, that's somebody to be prized and cherished and valued and loved and appreciated. And you know, every one of us needs a friend who will not flatter us to simply make us feel better, but will speak the truth in love in order to refine us. A true friend in your life is one who is making you better by earnest counsel, and this is how Christians are to operate all the time with one another. I love one of my favorite verses in Proverbs is Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And you see, real friendship is like sharpening the blade of a sword because God wants every one of us to be sharp for Him. By ourselves, we become dull and blunted. We lose our edge. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 24 says. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is one of the main reasons we are called to gather together, as is made clear in the context of of Hebrews chapter 10. We gather for this purpose, to sharpen one another, to counsel each other towards the gospel and towards living a life of good works for our Father who is in heaven. A real friend will provoke you. A real friend will challenge you, and he will spur you on and push you forward in your faith. He will point you constantly to the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will remind you of the privilege and the power of obedience. You will not agree with everything they say, but you will want to listen carefully when a friend gives you counsel. You say, what kind of counsel matters the most? What kind of counsel ought I to be giving the most? There's a lot of ways we can give counsel in the gray areas of life, but let me tell you this, the mature and the godly friend always counsels you from the Word of God. You want to be that person who's constantly saying, what does God's word say about this? What does God think of this? What will please God most in your life? That's the kind of person you want to be. That's the kind of advice you want to give. A person who knows their Bible backwards and forwards because they want their life, you want your life to be governed and ruled by it, and you want to come alongside others and help them guide their life according to the word of God that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Every one of us needs to go to another person at some point in our lives, probably more often than we realize, and simply say the words, help me. Help me make decisions. Help me figure this out. 
Help me figure out this whole dating thing and the person I, I should marry. I want your counsel. Help me figure out how, how to do marriage according to God's word and, and to live rightly in this beautiful relationship that God has given me. Help me figure out how to parent well. Help me figure out my career choices. Help me figure out my finances and my future. Most importantly, help me figure out how to get sharper for Jesus Christ. How many times have I heard people say things like, I I can't be involved in Christian community right now. I can't be involved in a relationship. I'm just too busy. Too busy for for friendships. Too busy for relationships right now. Can I just just say this very clearly? That is self-inflicted isolation for the most part. I've heard this excuse a lot too. It's just a season of life. And by the way, I know there are seasons of life. There really are seasons of life when things are a little bit more difficult, where you have to make adjustments. There's nothing wrong with that. But the last I checked, seasons have a definitive start date and end date. I don't know, maybe my calendar is different than yours. And I would argue that you need these kinds of friends, friends who are going to counsel you on a regular basis. You need them not outside of the church primarily, Not even other Christians outside of the church primarily, but inside the local church that God has given you as your family. And if no person, by the way, you're like, well, I've got Christian friends outside of the church. I don't need friendships inside the church. You don't understand the church. You don't understand what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And if maybe your excuse is that no person in this church is good enough to play that role in in your life, then the problem is not with them. It's actually with you. That's also a form of of isolation, holding people at a distance. And usually, people who do that, they're driven by a sense of fear of being truly known, of being vulnerable and transparent with people. Maybe some of you are like, "I, I tried that, but I was hurt. I've been hurt so many times in relationships, and I just, I can't get hurt like that again. I opened up, I was vulnerable, and, and they, they, they broke confidence, and they turned on me, they stabbed me in the back, and I'm just not willing to go there again. Listen, I'll just say this to you. I get it. I'm with you. I've been there. I've done that. And developing godly friendships is risky. Here's the reality. You will be hurt by others. And here's the other reality. You will hurt others as well. But godly friendships are strengthened by dealing with and working through that hurt biblically through repentance and forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. Some of you, like I said, you're new here and this, this whole COVID shutdown is, you know, you're like, man, I really need some friends. I need some, some Christian friends but I don't know anybody here yet like that. Okay, fair enough. What are you willing to do to change that? Are you actually pursuing community and relationships in any way? We want to provide every opportunity to do that. We want to get you connected with people. We want to get you into a small group or a connect group. And And if you need relationships in this church and you don't have them, come to us and let us help you figure out how to do this well. You cannot become wise without a Christian friend speaking into your life, providing godly counsel and help. Listen, none of us can be everyone's friend, but all of us can be someone's friend. Our need for human friendship is real and vitally important, but it pales. Let's just don't, don't miss this part. This is the most important part, okay? It pales in comparison to our greatest need. Here is the most vital question for you to be able to answer today. 
Am I a friend of God? In our sinful state, the Bible says that all of us, because of our rebellion against God, we are actually not in the category of friend of God, we're in the category of enemies of God. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God loves us so much, he's willing to turn enemies into friends. He's willing to take those who are far off, who are alienated from himself, and bring them near. Romans 5.10 says that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. You see, it's our sin that keeps us separated, isolated from God. And instead of getting His love and affection and blessing, we are deserving of His judgment and wrath. But because of His Son, Jesus Christ, His death, Jesus says, I will step in the gap for you. I will pay the price for your sins. I will receive the wrath that you deserve. And because of the resurrection, Jesus Christ defeats sin and death. He takes away the one obstacle preventing us from becoming friends with God, reconciled to the one who created us and made us specifically to live in relationship with Him. By repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus who died and rose for you, you can enjoy friendship with God right now, this very moment. He can take you from the status of being an enemy and make you his very dear friend. Godly friends are a gift of God's grace, but as good as they are, they are no replacement for the friendship that we truly require. Our greatest need is for a friendship that transcends the friendship of this world We need the friendship of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus brings all the blessings of friendship that we've talked about this morning in their highest form. He is the friend who provides continual earnest counsel through his word. He is the friend who rebukes and corrects us with gentleness and love. He is the friend who provides us with consistent care of our great comfort of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is the friend who sticks with us at all times, promising never to leave or forsake us and promising to be with us even to the very end of the age. I want to close with this thought from the very mouth of Jesus in John 15, 12 and 15. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus is our best, our greatest, our surest, our wisest, and our most faithful friend. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Listen, this friend is ultimately Jesus Christ friend of sinners. Friend for all human, for all, excuse me, human friendships are secondary and they're derived from God's friendship toward his people. It is the friendship of the son toward those for whom he died that is primary, that is necessary, and that is ultimate. Cultivating our friendship with him is the wisest and best of all pursuits. And so let's not do this in isolation. 
Let us cultivate our friendship with God in the community of God. Godly friends that deepen friendship with God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for just that. We thank you, Lord, that not only do we get to experience and enjoy deep and sweet human friendships, but that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can enjoy friendship with you. And we thank you and we give you praise that while there was once enmity, while we were once rebels and resistance to a relationship with you, while we sinned against you, you loved us enough to come after us, even as enemies of yours, that you would die for your enemies, that you would pay the price that we deserve for our sin, that you would pay for the sins of your enemies is an astounding reality. And we pray, oh God, that that truth would grip our hearts this morning, that that would drive for us what it means to be godly friends. Deepen our friendship with Jesus. And as a result, we pray that you would deepen our friendships with one another. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.